Climbing above 20,000 feet means you're in the death zone where oxygen is scarce and your brain slowly dies. Standing above a large open hole in the Mexican jungle and dropping 500 feet of rope into the infinite abyss also takes your breath away. Some argue that your brain has already suffered damage if you're willing to descend that rope into what could be heaven on earth, but could equally be hell beyond what mythology has offered. The darkness is impenetrable. Headlamps simply illuminate the edge of even more darkness. The bottom could be six or six hundred feet below. A knot tied in the end of the rope is the only thing that keeps you from sliding off the end of that rope and dropping into the center of the earth and finding that finite place where only death lives. Samuel Candle is on that rope, going into that finite place in the infinite darkness. But this is not a pleasure trip of unpleasurable obstacles. Sam is working. He's traveled the world of high and steep mountains and of deep and dark caves, but this trip feels different. People, friends, have already died. Adventures like this are measured and calculated and the risks are mitigated when possible. But on this trip, the risk is unknown and immeasurable. Sam is entering a death zone with risks from both nature and man in what can only be described as the devil's domain. My name is Jeff Fargin, and this is the High Adventure Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the High Adventure Podcast. If you've listened to Seasons 1 and 2, I'd like to welcome you back. And if you're new to the podcast, I invite you to go back and listen to the previous seasons. Hope you'll enjoy what we have to offer. Season 3 is going to be a bit different. In addition to a new multi-part story that we're beginning with this episode, we'll drop in single-episode trip reports. The first trip report has already been posted and we're getting some very nice feedback on that episode. If you haven't done so already, please go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us some stars and reviews. These really help the algorithms and help us build our audience. The other thing that helps is if you'll share this podcast with your friends or others you think might like what we're offering. I'd like to tell you about a few things right now that are happening that we're really excited about. First, we dropped our first audiobook. It's called Everest Alone, Maurice Wilson's 1934 journey to be the first to stand on the summit. If that story sounds familiar, it should. We've gone back into the episodes of Season 2 and added a new foreword and an epilogue and edited and remastered the episodes for an audiobook presentation. The episodes are broken into chapters and the story runs about five hours long. The cost of the new audiobook is five bucks. That's it. Less than a cup of specialty coffee that will give you maybe ten minutes of enjoyment. We're giving you over five hours of content for five bucks. You can order your digital download from our website, accidentalproductions.net. At the top of the homepage, you'll find the book title link that uh, takes you straight to the store. For those of you interested in our film, Assault on El Capitan, we have a limited number of DVDs available. The DVD version has over 90 minutes of added content, including a short film on Ammon's base jumping accident and, and extended interviews with the entire cast of Assault on El Capitan. The next little thing we're asking this season is for you to help us out a little bit and help us continue to bring you these stories. If you enjoy an episode, please go to our website, accidentalproductions.net, and hit the donate button. 
We're asking for a dollar an episode. That's all. If we give you any break in your day or any level of entertainment, it would mean a lot to us and, frankly, our monthly expenses if you gave us a buck. We're trying not to load up the podcast with advertising, so anything you drop on us will directly help us produce these episodes. In the last couple of years, we've all witnessed podcasting explode. I get a lot of questions about how to start a podcast and how to manage the media and the workflow of an ongoing show. Well, here's the tip of the day. It's Blueberry.com. Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. And it's the premier podcasting media host. I've tried others, but I've always come back to Blueberry. Here's the thing. To get a podcast out, you have to produce it, you have to upload it, and you have to try to get it on all the podcast platforms out there in the world. Blueberry makes it simple. They give you a WordPress website free that integrates your account seamlessly. You press a couple buttons on the screen and your show is linked to the website and sent to all the podcast platforms. That's it. All of them. And again, tech support is top notch. They have experts that talk you through any question you may have. Blueberry also hosts webinars and their own podcast on how to produce your podcast. There's no contracts. You can cancel any time. You can also easily move your show over to Blueberry from another host. If I get asked about how to start a podcast these days, my first piece of advice is to get a Blueberry account. And you're a couple steps away from being heard worldwide. As always, you can follow us on social media at thehighadventurepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at High Adventure Podcast, on Facebook at The High Adventure Podcast, and on Instagram at High Adventure Podcast. We, as always, post these episodes on both our YouTube and Vimeo channels, and both these channels are found under our company name of Accidental Productions. As I record this, we're still in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. This pandemic has had obvious and not-so-obvious consequences. The toll on human health and service-oriented businesses has been obvious. But what's not so obvious has been the toll on the arts community. We all miss concerts and theater, but there are unfamiliar names and faces that work in the background far behind the onstage performers. These are the technicians, the directors, the producers, and the writers who are truly responsible for what you see on stage and screen. My own film projects have been put on hold and in some cases canceled, but that's created other opportunities to present this work in a new way, and that's what we're going to do in this new multi-part story. The story we're beginning is titled Devil's Domain. Now, I'll admit that this is an experiment, and you're all part of this experiment, and the positive or negative outcomes of this experiment will be your response to this story. Um, here's a little background on how this all came to be. Um, in the past, I've written for television, and I've written a few screenplays, and I've written my own projects as well as worked as a writer for hire. I was once asked if I could write an action film, and I thought that that would be fun and a departure from some of my other work. The best part about action films is the freedom to write, knowing that the genre dictates that the audience really suspend disbelief. Good action screenplays are fun fantasies that are set in recognizable worlds with caricatures rather than real characters. The thing with screenplays is they're not literature and they're not really meant to be performed in an audio format and not really to be read as you would read a book. They're dialogue heavy and description light. 
screenplays are really blueprints to be interpreted by a director, but as a reader or a listener, there's really no heavy lifting here. I, I wrote Devil's Domain as an exercise and an entry into the action film genre. This script ironically ended up being a finalist in a couple screenplay competitions, and it had its spin around Hollywood before the rights landed back in my lap. So in this episode, I bring you Devil's Domain. Keep in mind that I'm not an actor and this is not an audiobook. I don't do voices or accents or dialects. So if there are any producers out there and this strikes your fancy, then Devil's Domain is available for option. Um, like it or not, here is Devil's Domain, an original screenplay, part one. Last year, in a Mexican field, a plane takes off and a young girl who's working the fields turns to watch. The single-engine plane sputters long and eventually lifts off. Nearby, in a Mexican village, the sound of the plane is faint, but it gets stronger. A curandero comes out of a small shack and looks up at the plane. His face is stern, angry, vengeful. Inside the plane, the pilot and passenger are in the cockpit. The passenger wears a shoulder holster over his shit-happens tank top. The conversation is in Spanish. The pilot says, Get me a cup of coffee. The passenger says, It's effing 200 degrees and you want coffee? There's a thermos behind your seat, says the pilot. The passenger grabs the thermos from behind his seat and pours a cup of coffee and hands it to the pilot and then he puts on a parachute. The pilot asks, What's the matter? Better this way. How long in the air, says the passenger. Few hours. Tanks are full. We'll refuel in... The pilot looks down at the fuel gauge. It's on empty. The pilot taps on the gauge. You filled the tank, right? The passenger, What? Gasoline, says the pilot. Passenger, No. Pilot, No? Passenger, no. He also taps on the gauge. Better this way. The plane takes a dive. The passenger tries to get out the door, but his chute is wrapped around the seat. He just now realizes he's going down with the plane. The pilot screams. The plane is out of control. The passenger grabs at the controls. Do something! The pilot fights the controls. The plane goes straight into the jungle in the Sierra Mazteca Mountains. The jungle floor opens like a mouth and swallows the plane before closing up again. There's no crashing sounds or explosions, just a whoosh sound as the plane passes through the jungle. I guess it's true, if no one hears the sound, then there really is no sound. Outside of a mansion last month, dressed in all black, a hooded burglar wearing a headset darts across the compound of a large mansion and scales up the rock exterior of the house. He climbs like a spider up the vertical wall. The holds are very small, and hanging by his heel from the second floor window ledge, he reaches down and opens a small box mounted on the wall below him. Balancing on the holds, he opens the box and attaches a small electronic device. Whispering, the burglar says, Go. Inside a van, a man named Tech looks at a screen of a laptop computer. He presses several buttons and images from the house security cameras appear on the laptop screen. Various areas of the house and grounds are available at the press of a button. Tech opens up his cell phone, dials, and waits. 
In a guardhouse, a guard picks up the phone. Wearing a suit, he's obviously not a typical rent-a-cop. A large pistol with a silencer sits on the console of the security monitors he's watching. The guard says, Yeah? Tech says, Can you see out the west gate? The guard looks at one of the monitors. It goes black. Shit, I just lost video. He slaps the top of the monitor and spins around in his chair. The guard says, Westgate, you said? Inside the van on the laptop, Tech is looking at an image of the guard with his back to the security cameras. Tech presses a button and the monitors go black. Thought I saw something hanging around. Did you get a good look at him, says the guard. Tech reaches over and presses a playback button on a large switch panel. No. As the guard looks out the window, the monitors behind him come back on with new images. I don't see anything, said the guard. Eh, probably nothing, Tech says. Guard says, right, and hangs up the phone. Behind Tech, the monitors match those in the guardhouse. Into his mic, he whispers, go. Outside the mansion, the burglar climbs in a window, secures a rope to the window casing, and then climbs the rope. Inside the mansion, it's like an art museum. Paintings in gaudy frames cover the walls. There's an obvious blank spot on the wall where a painting normally hangs. The burglar takes a photo from his pocket and compares it to the paintings on the wall. None of them match. The burglar says, It's not here. Tex says, Supposed to be, right? Burglar, But it's not. How much time? Tech through his headset, says, Five minutes. The burglar steps out of the art gallery and stealthily moves around, looking in rooms. The house is quiet and seems empty, but all the lights are on. He goes downstairs and through a large sitting room and then into an office. There's a painting sitting on the floor and it's leaning against the wall. The burglar matches the photograph to the painting. He cuts the backing from the frame and takes out the painting. He looks at his watch, rolls up the painting and tucks it down the back of his shirt. Inside the guardhouse, a security guard points his silence-tipped Glock at a second guard who's sitting on the floor. He shoots the seated guard in the face and looks at his watch. The burglar, still inside the mansion, is walking into a library. Large chairs face a kindled fireplace. The lights are on, but again, there's no movement. Stepping further into the room, he sees the bodies of several men lying on the floor. The burglar says to himself, shit. Tech is watching all of this through body cams of the burglar. The door in the van all of a sudden is ripped open and the guard pulls Tech out from the van. Tech savagely yet quickly and calmly beats the guard, climbs back in the van and closes the door as if nothing happened. The burglar lifts his own hood and bends down to check the pulse of one of the men. It's Carlo Rossellini. Carlo Rossellini groans. The burglar says to Carlo, what? Into his mic, he says, call 911. I don't care about the cops. Call them. A creaking door opens behind the burglar. A shooter is standing in the doorway, raising a gun. The burglar leaps behind the chair as several rounds rip through the room. He runs for the door as shots chase him up the stairs. He falls and the shooter catches him. The shooter spins the burglar onto his back and they get a good look at each other. The shooter points his gun at the burglar's face. The burglar kicks him in the groin, bending him over. The burglar, grabbing for anything, grabs for his face and pulls out a glass eye. 
The burglar manages to squeeze away and runs up the stairs, down the hall and into the art gallery. He dives through the window, catching his roof and sliding down. The shooter blasts in the gallery, spraying automatic weapon fire across the room. A horizontal line of bullets rings the room and through every painting hanging in the gallery. The burglar yelling into the headset, wrap it up, wrap it up, go, 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 go. Outside the mansion, the burglar slides fast down the rope and hits the ground hard. Inside the mansion, the shooter goes to the window and sees the burglar run across the grounds, disappearing over a wall. He looks down and sees blood dripping from a thick shard of glass. Sirens wail in the background. In the van, Tech calmly presses buttons and closes down the mobile production truck. The burglar jumps in and slams the door. The next day, inside an office suite, a door slams as Travis Remar, an elegant yet tough businesswoman, steps from her office holding a newspaper. Travis, yelling, Get me Samuel Candle! As Travis is yelling, inside a climbing gym across town, the shirt of a man climbing has a small blood spot. It's growing larger. Oscar walks into the gym and sees Sam Candle, the burglar, is midway up an overhanging section of the climbing wall. Struggling but making progress, he uses his heel to hang from a hold while he takes a rest. Reaching for the next hold, his heel pops off. Falling, he ends up swinging back and forth across the wall. Shit. Mr. Candle, you used to make that move without resting on a heel hook. Sam says, that is a fact. But I'm still on the sharp end. Dangerous on that end, Oscar says. Sometimes, replies Sam. Good thing you got a strong belayer, someone to watch your back. Sam says, let me down, Jimmy. Jimmy the belayer holds on to the other end of the rope and lowers Sam to the ground. Without Jimmy, Sam would have fallen to the ground. Sam unhooks the rope from his harness. You here for a reason, Oscar? Like, maybe you have some money for me? Oscar says, Travis wants to see you. I'll bet she does, says Sam. He sits on a bench, unties his climbing harness. Oscar sees the blood. You okay? A scratch. Nothing $200,000 won't fix. Oscar, you see the paper? Oscar gives Sam the newspaper. The headline reads, Rossellini gang hit. Sam, yeah. Too bad. Carla was a good guy. Oscar, good guy? He's a gangster. What a good guy, says Sam. The last of the good bad guys. He's alive, says Oscar. Sam's surprised. What? What happened? Burglary, they think. Found a rope and some electronic stuff. Anything missing? asks Sam. Carlo won't say. Says he'll take care of it himself. Cops would just as soon let him do it. Sam says, Could be bad for those guys, whoever did it. Oscar says, Was wondering if there was any art missing. Sam replies, Would have been a waste if there wasn't. It wasn't me, Oscar. I almost got hit myself. That's why I left all my shit there. I had effing bullets parting my hair. Oscar says, That's a hell of a life you lead, running around stealing from thieves. Remember the old days when we were ratting around, scrounging for food, just to get enough energy for one more climb? We're still ratting around, Oscar. Shit, look at you. You don't look like you can climb out of bed, let alone hang on the edges. 
but you wouldn't really go back, would you? Oscar shakes his head. Sam says, there are no old days. Or new days. There's just different days. I suppose you're right. You have the painting? It's safe, says Sam. Travis wants to see it, says Oscar. She will. Outside on the highway, Tex sits on the side of the road holding a piece of canvas. The words Easterly Destinations are written in crayon. A van pulls up. A company name is painted on the side. Right now delivery. Below it, the slogan reads, When overnight is too slow. Tech rolls up the canvas of the stolen painting. He picks up his pack and gets into the van. It speeds off. In Travis's office, she's storming around. Sam and Oscar sit in chairs, watching her pace like a caged lion. Travis says, Tell me who you gave it to. Not important, says Sam. It's not important? It's safe. How do I know we're not going to have to steal this thing again? Sam says, We're? As in, us? Funny. I looked around when I heard the shots, but I didn't see you anywhere. Let's all calm down, Oscar says. Travis, Tex not a... Shut up, Oscar, says Sam. Tech, Travis says. Please don't tell me Tech's involved. Sam shrugs. I never mentioned it, but did I mention I need to be paid? Travis calms down. The insurance company hired you to find and retrieve a stolen painting. My job is to return that painting to its owner and not pay a $2 million claim that's currently outstanding. You say you retrieved the painting and that you gave the painting away. There's dead mobsters at the location where you say you found the painting. And now you're telling me you want 10% of $2 million. I need to know, where's the goddamn painting? Oh, lighten up, Travis. It's not your painting. Tech will send the painting at the end of the week. It's safe. There are dead mobsters around and the living ones are going to be trying to find out who did it. If they came to me, I don't want their boss's artwork hanging on my wall. I took a precaution. I'll check things out today and you'll have the art. I'll expect the 200000 in my account by Friday. Several office workers stand at the door listening to Travis's ranting. Travis is yelling, God damn it, Sam! We're not married anymore, so effing with me is not an option. Sam gets up. I'm leaving now. Travis, don't you walk out on me, Sam Candle. Not this time. Sam says, well, You're the one that had the affair. You ass. If you would have spent less time with your climbing buddies, diving buddies, motorcycle buddies, and all that other macho shit, I might have been around. Don't you know I was screaming for attention? Attention? Is that what you were screaming? Funny. The screaming I heard when I was standing outside the door when you were inside with the pool boy didn't sound a lot like attention. Is that all you have to say, says Travis? No, said Sam. Give me my keys back. Sam opens the door and the eavesdroppers disappear quickly into the office. Oscar follows. Inside the main area, Oscar says, Sam, Sam, wait, wait a minute. Where are you going? Outside, on a rock face, during sunset, Tech is climbing a steep rock face. Another climber sits on a ledge, feeding out rope, holding Tech in case of a fall. Tech says, I love climbing this time of day. 
You know, I once climbed a thousand foot wall at midnight. The other climber says, what was that like? Dark, he says. The climber asks, you live in the mountains full time? Tex says, mostly. Go flat when I need to make some scratch. Climber, what do you do? Eh, computer stuff. You, says the climber. I messed around with them before I dropped out to climb full time. You went to college? Where? MIT. Tech has climbed the steep rock face and is now totally straightened out with his back facing the ground. He climbs out from the underside of a large overhang a thousand feet from the ground. He's cool and calm, and he looks down at the guy belaying him. Climber. I get it. Tech. Like, technical. Tech says, What'd you say your name was? Climber says, Eddie. Tech says, Hey, Eddie. Give me a little slack, will ya? Climber. Sure thing. Eddie pulls out a knife and cuts the rope between himself and Tech. Tech. Hey, that's not funny. Eddie yanks on the rope. What the fuck are you doing? With one last pull, Tech is yanked from the laid out position and becomes airborne. He falls a thousand feet to the valley floor. Outside Sam's house, he pulls his car into the driveway. Wandering into the moonlit kitchen, Sam opens the refrigerator door. He picks up and puts down his feet as though he's stepped in something. Looking down, he sees an ocean of red. Oh, fuck. The light from the refrigerator door spills onto a dead woman lying on the floor, her throat cut. It's Travis. A thick piece of glass lies on the floor next to her. It's the same piece of glass that had cut Sam back at the mansion. Ah, oh, fuck. Reaching down to the woman, he's interrupted by a noise. He picks up a baseball bat that was leaning against the wall and steps down the dark hall. His doorbell rings. Although startled by the bell, he doesn't say anything. The bell rings again, followed by a loud knock. He nervously flings open the door, ready to swing. Standing at the door is Lenny. Hold it! Who the fuck are you? Lenny says, holding a mailing tube. Delivery for Sam Candle. Sam says, get out of here. Lenny says, it's COD. Sam looks back and sees a flash from a silenced pistol. He pushes Lenny out the door. She fights all the way, dropping the mailing tube. Sam pushes Lenny into his car. It won't start. They go for Lenny's van. Lenny, get away from me, you son of a bitch. She lands a solid left hook to Sam's jaw, staggering him. He regroups and throws her into the van. They speed away. Inside the van, Sam says, Shit, shit, shit. The van speeds through the neighborhood as police cars speed past him. The last police car spins around and gives chase. Lefts and rights and lefts and rights, in and out of traffic. More lefts and more rights, Sam eventually loses the cops. Sam drives slower. You got a house, he says. What? A house, an apartment. Where do you live? So you can kill me in my own house? I don't think so, Lenny says. Look, lady. Someone's trying to kill me, okay? If we don't get this van off the street real quick, they're going to kill you too. Make a left up here, she says. 
The automatic door opener pulls the garage door open as the van drives in. The door closes behind it. Inside the house, Sam dials a number and waits. Oscar answers. Wearing a bathrobe, he's watching TV from his favorite chair. Oscar picks up the phone. Yeah? What the fuck's going on? Where are you, Sam? I can't tell you that, Oscar. You got your scanner on? What do you know? I know Travis is dead, Oscar says. Fuck. Everybody knows? They want you, Sam. As soon as I heard, I called the station and talked to Reeves. He said they have a piece of glass that they're sure is the murder weapon. They've also got your car with bloody footprints in it. They think I did it. They want to talk, but yeah, you're the man. What else? The piece of glass that killed her had blood on the dull side of it. They're guessing it's not hers. Is it yours? I didn't kill her. So you say. Are we all right? You're an ass, Sam, but I don't think you're a killer. What do you need? I'm going to see Carlo. Rossellini? You know another one? Where can I reach you, Sam? Sam hangs up. Outside Sam's house, a man holding a dog on a leash finishes talking to a detective. As he turns and walks down the driveway, we see he has a patch over one eye. I think he was the shooter. A uniformed cop comes up to the detective. The cop says, Detective? Yeah. We found this by the car. The detective opens the tube and pulls out the painting. The orderly picks a tray of food from the cart and starts into the room. The man stops and searches him. He nods okay and then lets the orderly in. Inside the hospital room, Carlo sits up in bed as the orderly sets the food tray in front of him. Carlo is surrounded by several men, including his son Anthony, and an older woman, Angelina, sits at the bedside with her rosary beads. The orderly says, Your dinner, Mr. Rossellini. Wait a minute, wait a minute, says Anthony. Did anyone check this food? Carlos says, sit down, Anthony. It's fine. What do we have tonight, Max? Meatloaf, mashed potatoes, cornbread, green beans. Sounds good, says Carlo. It's not, but I don't create it. I just deliver it. Sorry, sir. It's okay, Max. Anthony says, Pop, I think we gotta hit those bastards and hit them quick. Carlo looks angry at Anthony and he waits for the orderly to leave. Carlo, Anthony, come over here. Anthony leans forward to his father. Carlo slaps him hard in the face. Carlo says, some respect. There's a time for everything, and this is not it. Angelina, my dear, do you mind? You helped me raise a son, but he has no manners. I'd like to speak with him in words you should not hear. Angelina gets up. Don't anger your father. He, he needs his rest. She walks out. Papa, if, if we wait, we look weak. If you ever... Again, disrespect my sister, the wonderful woman that helped raise you. I will kill you myself. We don't discuss work around her. It disrespects her. It disrespects my wishes. She should never have to wash blood from her hands. We gotta stop it, Pop, right here, right now. Who are you gonna hit? Tell me, tough guy. Do you even know? Sam walks in. How you doing, Carlo? Anthony turns. I'll start with this son of a bitch. Anthony goes after Sam, but Sam doesn't flinch. The other men hold Anthony back. You really ought to cut down on the salt, Tony. It raises the blood pressure, you know? Anthony says, You know what raises my blood pressure, Candle? When someone comes into my father's home and shoots him. That's what raises my blood pressure. You know, Sam, I have to agree with Anthony, says Carlo. Fair enough, says Sam. 
Carlo asks, Now where's my painting? Anthony says, It was him? Let me kill this fuck. Carlo says, What do you think, Sam? Should I let Anthony kill you? You killing your ex-wife is bad business, considering she was your only client. If you let us do it, it will save the taxpayers from a lengthy trial. It'd prove your civic mind. I'll take my chances, Carlo. Can we talk? Alone? Sure, says Carlo. Carlo waves and the guys leave. Anthony's still there. Carlo, Anthony, please. Anthony says, Pop, this is the guy that... Carlo says, Anthony, please. Anthony leaves, not taking his eyes off of Sam. Now, Sam, what do you have to say to me? Sam says, I didn't shoot you, Carlo. I was only there for the painting. Carlo says, and for that alone I should kill you. Sam says, but now I'm being set up, and I'm not sure why. I think the guys that hit you are setting me up. You saw them? Yeah. Can you identify them? Yeah. So what's the mystery? People know me in this town. I've been walking fences for years. Good guys, bad guys. I do what I do and keep to myself. I've had my scrapes, but things are different this time. Carlos says, you're right. They are different. You crossed over, my friend. Sam says, into what? Carlo, the police have my painting. Sam says, it was never yours. It was mine. It just wasn't always in my possession. What are you going to do? Carlo says, well, if we make an arrangement, I won't kill you for stealing my painting. And? Carlo says, I'll look into this. Murder of your ex-wife. Sam says, I didn't kill her. Carlo says, whatever, makes no difference. You walk either way. You do a little business for me. Sam says, I'm not going to kill anybody. No, 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 no. This is legitimate business. I have those two, you know. Sam says, the cops and whoever else is looking for me. We'll take care of all of that, Carlos says. Get my coat, will you? Sam opens the closet door and grabs a suit coat riddled with holes. He sees a bulletproof vest speckled with dents, but no punctures. He reaches into the pocket of the jacket and pulls out the shooter's glass eye. Carlos says, a souvenir. Sam, of? Carlo, a relationship. People are watching. Not just me. Give me a piece of paper, will you? Sam hands Carlo a pen and paper. Carlo writes something down on the paper. I want you to go see this man. Sam takes the paper and looks. Is this a good idea? Carlo says, it's good. How do I get there? Carlo says, you're a resourceful man. Sam says, the painting? Are we okay? Carlo says, don't worry about it. I got it for nothing. It'll disappear from the evidence room. It'll get back and it'll be a little messy, but go see our friend. Thank you for tuning in to part one of Devil's Domain. Hopefully you're enjoying the story. If you are, please leave us a review and pass this podcast on to a friend. Part two is coming. Can you guess where it's going? The fun for me in writing these things is to stay true to the genre, but to offer enough twists to try to keep the reader, the viewer, and now you, the listener, guessing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the nadir.